Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Aries Management is out with its latest results today. Shares rising as the company reported assets under management grew 19% year over year to nearly $419 billion, topping estimates of $409 billion. Aries CEO Mike Arigetti joins me now as the stock price hits a new record after a tear last year, I should say. Mike, when people look at what you're doing over at Aries, it's pretty notable because you went from zero to 60. It seems like you've become much bigger than some of your older rivals like Carlisle, for example, and market cap. What is it exactly that they're betting on? Is this kind of rising with the private credit boom, or is there something else? I think a lot of the relative momentum is clearly credit. We were very early to the private credit markets, dating back almost 30 years. Um, and as that market has expanded, both in terms of moving into real estate and infrastructure, but also globalizing, it's been a big a big tailwind, but whether we're talking about private markets or public markets, at the end of the day, it's about performance. And I do think if you look at the earnings uh, performance over a number of years, it stands out uh, for its consistency, but also for its growth on a relative basis. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, assets follow performance and stock price follows the performance as well. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. I feel the need to really push you on performance here and, and how sustainable it is across the industry, not just for Aries, because there are a lot of worries out there, Mike, about credit quality, when it starts to turn. How do you avoid pitfalls and how many pitfalls are there in the market right now in the world of private credit? I think that that story, frankly, is a little overblown, and you and I have talked about this uh, before. The, the structure of the market is fundamentally different than it was 30 years ago. But if you go back to the beginnings of this business, the narrative was always there that there was risk being taken in these markets. It wasn't being taken anywhere. And I just don't think that that's true. Uh, and the performance would, would bear that out. You know, if you look at ARCC, which is our traded BDC, we announced earnings yesterday. And the non-accrual rate in that portfolio is 0.6% at fair value, which is well below the industry historical average, about 3%. So it's quite interesting. Obviously, the stresses you're seeing in certain corners of the market, like real estate, are rate-driven. But when you, when you get below the surface, the fundamental performance is still very strong and very intact. But what's different about private credit today than decades ago is the amount of private equity supporting these assets and companies is significantly higher than it ever was. So if you look at most private credit assets, their loan to value is somewhere between 40 and 50 percent. That means that you have a highly sophisticated, highly aligned equity partner sitting below your private credit instrument that is obviously aligned to 
performance. So mm -hmm. I don't expect to see private credit, uh, you know, as, as we all talk about it, show show cracks because I think the structure of the loans is just fundamentally more sound than it's ever been. You know, you think about the market's expectation for rate cuts here. I'm curious about your weighing in on what would happen if we don't get five rate cuts before the June FOMC meeting and rates stay a little higher for longer. What other kinds of cracks do you start to see in credit markets at that rate? Yeah, I think real estate, and you're beginning to see those cracks emerge, right? So as rates stay higher for longer, which, by the way, is, is my base case, you're going to begin to see even, you know, modestly underperforming assets have challenges. And this goes back to my prior comment about the value of institutional sponsorship, right? So if you have an institutional sponsor of a high-quality asset, they will use their capital to protect the value in that asset or that company. And if you have a weaker asset or a weaker company without sponsorship, there may be there may be some challenges. So obviously the longer we go with rates higher, you will see more cracks. But I think if you aggregate across all of the markets, we're we're at peak rate. We know we're going to be coming down from here. Uh, and I think that's going to be constructive both for performance and deal activity. You think about what's happening over at New York Community Bank. It's causing a ton of fears in the regional banking system. You yourself have really pointed to the idea that this could be a multi-year problem. Paint a picture of how that play, plays out through 2024 and even 2025. Well, it speaks a lot to prior comments that we've made just about the importance of private markets in stabilizing the public markets. And so you look at 2023, and obviously there was a lot going on, but we got through, you know, pretty challenging time in the bank markets through a combination of private capital, public capital, and, and policy. And I think given what we saw play out in first and second quarter of last year, I would continue to believe that these isolated instances like New York Community Bank are going to be resolved with a combination of private markets partnership and you know, and bank capital. So I'm actually optimistic. I think that the markets are proving to be resilient. There's enough liquidity to resolve these. Um, but it is it is a commentary, I think, on, on the fundamental difference in the structure of a bank balance sheet and the structure of an unlevered private fund. And when you go through this amount of, of rate uh, hikes so rapidly, it, it exposes, you know, exposes those weaknesses. So I actually mm -hmm. think that this is going to help, you know, advance the narrative of the importance of the private markets and in, in, in partnering with banks and partnering with the liquid markets as, as uh, mm -hmm. we get through cycles. So, okay, New York Community Bank report, reported just yesterday, we'll go to market, it's exploring loan sales and other ways to offload risk. Would you be in talks with them in a situation like this? Are you in talks? Well, I, I, can't, I can't comment on that specifically, but uh, I think, as you know, earlier last year, uh, we executed on a major portfolio purchase from PacWest. Uh, towards the back half of the year, we announced that we had uh, partnered with another regional bank on a pretty meaningful risk transfer. Uh, so, yeah, I think that given our capabilities in private credit, in alternative credit, and just given the amount of liquidity we have, I think that we are a, a natural partner for you know any bank that's looking to reposition its 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 asset mix. It's interesting. You know, you had, for example, Harvey Schwartz, the CEO of Carlyle, yesterday tell me that he wouldn't be willing necessarily to head into some of the commercial mortgages that are being offloaded by these banks. We know that commercial mortgage risk is what's weighing on the sector most heavily. Is there a place that you could step in? Well, I think, again, everyone likes to paint real estate with one brush, and, you know, real estate means a lot of different things. And if you look at our exposures, 
what we see given our, our over-indexing to industrial, multifamily, student housing, you know, data centers, there, there are very big parts of the commercial real estate business that are performing very well even in this rate environment. So I think most of the stress that we're talking about is obviously going to be happening within the you know, CBD office market. Um, that's a tough place to be. Um, but as an example, we just uh, launched a joint venture with a very prominent uh, New York real estate partner to begin to look for opportunities to bring capital into that market for class A properties. So a lot of this, whether you're talking about commercial real estate or you know buyouts is really about what's the value of the enterprise or the asset? You know, when are you comfortable uh, resetting basis and bringing money in? And I think we will find a natural, a natural bottom and a natural clearing point for, for real estate as well. What's that clearing point? I think I've been asking that question for a year now. When do things, frankly, get bad enough for you to buy? Well, we are buying. We're quite active uh, globally in our real estate business. The bulk of what we've been doing, and this is true you know, across the platform, is using debt-like instruments or debt-structured equity to come into these balance sheets effectively above the equity try to be a good, you know, collaborative liquidity partner, but not necessarily have to underwrite equity risk. So part of the benefit of our scale and flexibility is that we don't actually have to come in, you know, and have a perfect view on the value of the equity in order to come in and be a partner. I think that's one of the benefits of, you know, of flexible capital and opportunistic credit. It was an amazing fundraising for you uh, last year. It was the second best fundraising year you had on record, I believe. And you're in the market, according to Bloomberg's reporting, for a record direct lending fund. How much appetite is there for private credit to continue at that pace? And where are you putting all this money to work? Well, you know, it's, how much time do you have? <laughs> we. Uh, we just had our earnings call earlier and someone asked a similar question and, you know, without getting too deep into it, the, the reality is that the private credit markets, even though they're having a moment, are still massively undercapitalized relative to the amount of institutional equity that needs some form of private credit solution. So, you know, just as, a, as an example, there's about a trillion dollars of uninvested private equity dry powder uh, in the market against roughly 200 billion of private credit dry powder. So for all of the attention that private credit is getting, there's just not enough private credit in the market to satisfy the private equity that's already been raised, putting aside some of these cyclical opportunities that we're talking about. So uh, I think that there's plenty of appetite. The return uh, opportunity in private credit across the different parts of the market is as good as we've seen in a very long time since the GFC. Uh, and I think people are, are seeing the seniority and the structural protections and, and will continue to allocate. So, um, mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. A year ago, Mike, or even just a couple months ago, you and I were sitting here looking at a bank market that struggled to compete with firms like yours. They were struggling to offload leverage loans that were saddled on their books. Now they look like they're starting to fight back and edge their way into deals. How do you describe the bank versus non-bank dynamic here? Yeah, I, I, we've been doing this for 30 years, and you could go back and, and I've been saying the same thing through every cycle. There are moments where the banks are less aggressive in risk-taking, 
or the liquid markets are less aggressive in risk-taking and the private credit markets have the opportunity to take share at the upper end of their size range. And then there are times when the syndicated markets are you know, risk-on and then you give up a little bit of that share at the high end, but transaction activity picks up and, and everybody wins. So I, I, you know, given the way that we positioned our business in the core middle market for so long, I've always viewed this opportunity to kind of trade share with the banks at the upper end of the market as, you know, episodic, but that's not the core business. Um, not surprisingly, Aries has a very large liquid credit business as well. We're a very large CLO manager. Um, and so when those markets turn back on, we have the opportunity to pivot uh, into that market as well to obviously fund the growth in our liquid business and also to drive underwriting. So it's not a new trend. It's been it's been like that for the last 20 years. And, you know, I think they are I wouldn't even say they're fighting back, but they are now in a position to take risk mm -hmm. and they're going to do it. And. You know, that, that's, well, that's a lot of bank. What's interesting is you see many of these banks, J.P. Morgan including, included, looking at private credit, uh, entering it in a bigger way, either through partnerships, hiring, raising funds of their own. How does that change your market? I don't know if it does. And again, I, I, I struggle with what is private credit, right? Private credit is making loans. So J.P. Morgan is one of the largest lenders on the planet. So when I hear that they want to get into private credit, I'm not quite sure I understand what that means because... I look at them as, as the largest lender in the market. Um, and if you start trading loans, then it's no longer private. So I think everyone is struggling to kind of get a shared understanding of, of what this is and what the opportunity is. But again, we've been coexisting largely as partners and collaborative partners with the banks for as long as we've been in business. Um, and whether they're taking exposure through syndications and on the sales and trading desk or they're doing it directly on their balance sheet. I don't really perceive that to be you know, a, a meaningful change in the way the markets are structured. You know, Mike, you're certainly rising at Aries and rising as a CEO yourself. You're very notably on the deal to buy the Baltimore Orioles. We should say Michael Bloomberg, who is the owner of Bloomberg LP, is also part of that Orioles ownership group, along with David Rubenstein, also a contributor to this network as well. What is this deal about for you? Are you, offering, are you offering me a job at Bloomberg? Is that what that was? I or certainly not. But I I'm wondering what you were doing uh, buying the Orioles. Certainly sports has been a big moment for high net worth individuals as well as private asset owners. What does this say? Well, I think first of all, it says that I'm just a lifelong passionate baseball fan and just thrilled to have the opportunity to be involved in something like that, especially with a franchise that is so long tenured and, and has such a deep history as the Orioles do. And um, I also, uh, I've known David for, gosh, 25, 30 years, and I think he's one of the great leaders uh, in the community and, and, and in our business. And so the opportunity to partner with him behind his leadership is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me as well. Um, and you're right, sports, you know, it's funny. We, we have a big sports business here at Aries, I think, is, as you know. Uh, and in a world that is increasingly divisive and political and uh, tribal, what you begin to realize is sports is the way that we all come together and, and, and uh, rally around shared ideas and values. And so I, I just, I'm passionate about baseball and I'm passionate about what sport, uh, you know, means for, for, for society and thrilled to be now a part of, of the Baltimore family and, and um, looking forward to the future. 
Mike Arrighetti, we thank you so very much for your time. Certainly another big year in your world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.